welcome to Reimagine Hybrid Work, a Data for Betterment Foundation podcast. I'm your host, Maribel Lopez. I'm the founder of Lopez Research and the nonprofit, the Data for Betterment Foundation. The foundation's mission is to help individuals and companies prepare for the future of work by understanding how technology will change business and careers. If you like this episode, please visit reimaginehybridwork.com for links to follow the show on your favorite app and subscribe to our weekly newsletter for additional show content and articles. You can also find me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Maribel Lopez and my blog on lopezresearch.com. I hope you'll enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. As always, I'm excited to be here sharing the latest and greatest with what's happening in the future of work and technologies. And I'm joined here today by Gail Silverman. She is the Principal Product Delivery Lead at TXI. Gail, welcome to the program. Thanks so much. Delighted to be here and having a conversation about some of my very favorite things. Gail, can you take a moment to share what TXI is and what you do? Certainly. TXI uh, stands for Technology, Experience, and Innovation, and we are a product innovation company that specializes in UX research, design, and software development. And over the past 20 years, our organization's created more than 100 mobile apps, custom-built web applications, and intuitive user experiences. We also specialize in research and discovery. Thanks. I think that's really helpful backdrop, particularly as we think about uh, innovation and, and the future of work. But one of the reasons I invited Gail to the program is that in my research, I ran across several interesting articles that she wrote for TXI. And I thought it'd be great to discuss how we can foster an inclusive culture and in remote work or hybrid and distributed work. There's lots of different ways we could think about this. But perhaps to get started, we can discuss your article titled Kinetic Learning, Learn to Love Self-Conferencing. And as I've been to many digital and physical conferences, I was like, hmm, what's kinetic learning and hmm, what's self-conferencing? So tell me more about that. Sure. I would love to talk about the self-conference. And in fact, I wanted to share that I just completed my second annual one. And I think it's something that I get so much from that it's going to be part of my regular professional development. The self-conference started uh, a little over a year ago, where I realized that I had an extra day in my schedule. Um, Both of the teams that I am part of both um, had a very fortuitous connection of vacation time, and I found myself with an, an unusually empty day. And what I decided was out of a sincere uh, desire to connect with some of my colleagues and to do some learning that I was going to take the stash of articles that I've bookmarked and had references to in my notepad and clustered all over the place. And I was going to turn my professional development into a moment where I could connect with colleagues and we could both learn together. And so I put together a day in about 30 minute increments and I found an article or a video that was of an interesting topic for us across the industry, and then had a series of eight conversations in a single day. And it made my brain stronger, and it made my heart fuller, because it was really an opportunity to get different perspectives about things as I learned. You know, I, I love this, because from where I sit, as many of us moved to remote work, we found focus, but we also found isolation. And I also love the opportunity of taking time 
really taking time out of the normal flow of work and saying, let's do some discovery around very specific topics. And you need that kind of specific time. And I also love the fact that you're pulling in lots of different voices so that you can have a better informed opinion on things. So that that's a great idea. I think I will actually take that as part of my future practices as well. And there's some other things that you were talking about uh, related uh, to this, and that's you had a an article titled Normalizing Hybrid Work, which is a great title, by the way. <laughs> and uh, you referenced some statistics from another research firm that I'm very familiar with, uh, Gartner. I have some good friends there. And Gartner stated that by 2022, 25% of the global knowledge workforce will choose their home as their primary workplace. And 45% of the workforce will be working from home two to three days a week. And, you know, we could agree or disagree with that, but directionally, I think that that's the trend, right? We have some people that have continued to work at home full-time. We have some people that are looking at a hybrid work and we have some people that are full-time in the office. So no matter how you look at it, it's a distribution of employees. And one of the things that seems to be really interesting in that is we're talking a lot about if there might be fear that in-person contact will be rewarded more because it's more visible or if there's a proximity bias or if individuals are going to be missing out if they aren't in the office or missing out on things outside of meetings. And I wonder if you believe that this is a valid concern and if so, you know, what should either employers or employees change to mitigate this issue? I love that you asked me this question. Uh, I want to start by saying that my my feeling around this is that when people perceive that there's an impact, then it's a valid concern. So I think it can exist organizationally where the organization has taken steps to mitigate against that. And I also think it's very possible for individuals to feel like they, they still have that fear, that perception that they are losing out on opportunities for influence, that they don't have opportunities to model the kind of valuable work that they're doing on teams, and that they perceive that that's happening because of in-person contact. And so I can highlight the really interesting tension between those two things. At the same time, I think there are a lot of opportunities within an organization to mitigate against that worry for individuals. And I think a part of that is really uh, leadership understanding and being cognizant that this is always something that's sort of sitting at the back of people's minds. And I think it starts with onboarding and naming a thing and saying to new individuals who are joining the company, hey, we hear that people have worries about this. Here are the ways in which we try to create space for everybody to have their uh, ideas surfaced, share things that they're excited about, and then walk through what that looks like in reality. And sometimes that means creating Slack channels to amplify, hey, so-and-so and I had coffee and this really interesting idea came up. What's everybody's build? And I think that goes back to also recognizing and understanding the power of letting an idea be explicit and provide the opportunity for people to comment outside of real time. And I think that's the number one thing that you can do to mitigate. I think also just a lot of transparency about when there are people that have influence and power within an organization, and they do happen to be in the same place at the same time, let people know. It's it's fine to say the thing. 
and also to look for ways to be um, incredibly inclusive. And I would call out maybe about six months ago, our leadership organization had a meeting and they were going to have a team dinner afterwards. And they decided, hey, you know what? We're just going to actually open this up to anybody who happened to be in the place, the co-working space where they were that day. And I think that shift in mentality around being explicit and inclusive is really the way to help people understand that this is, um, while they might perceive that it's a problem, it doesn't have the impact that they were worried about. I think you bring up some excellent points about uh, the opportunity to include people that weren't included before, the opportunity to think of a meeting or brainstorming session in a broader time horizon than it was in the past. And that allows people to say, okay, not everything has to happen at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday, right? (laughs) It could start 11 a.m. on a Tuesday and it you know, that discussion may end 11 p.m. on a Wednesday, and it may go on for weeks with lots Mm -hmm. of different opportunity for people to extend and expand the dialogue and ideas. And that's something that I'm not sure we were really very attuned to or even had good tools to do in the past. I think a lot's changed with that. We'll get back to communication tools in a moment, but I just wanted to throw out a perhaps a, a personal thought or experience on this. And one of the things I think is really interesting now is because we have so many opportunities to do asynchronous electronic communications, perhaps some of the things that you might've been fearful to say to a manager or to share, you have more time to construct that and to write it down in a more thoughtful, comprehensive manner and share it that way to get a dialogue going. And then you can have more in-person time around that discussion. And, you know, in my earlier career, I think that would have been beneficial because there might've been quite a bit of fear for me to, go share my actual thoughts with my management. Um, And maybe I wouldn't have done it. You know, maybe I would have just said yes and nodded my head and been on my way. And I think now that there's more opportunity to do that. And as an introvert, which I know a lot of people say, Maribel's not an introvert, but she actually is. (laughs) So I spent a lot of time trying to act as if I'm not an introvert. But in in reality, I think that um, this allows individuals with different personalities to find the way to communicate that's best for them and to express themselves. So I'm extremely oper, you know, optimistic about what we could do moving forward as a result of this. So that was the the digression into the personal story of Maribel. But now back to the interview. <laughs> so um, I, if you I would actually love um I'm so grateful that you shared that because I think it also calls out something that I have noticed that's um incredibly powerful in this shift to hybrid work, which it's uh creating a an opportunity for us to recognize and acknowledge that the way that we interact with each other, um, there are multiple avenues for us to connect. Some happen to favor social thinking in the moment, people who get their energy from bouncing ideas off of other people. And what hybrid has done is really opened up this avenue for people who are more reflective and introspective to connect and operate in the way that's more authentic to them. And in the end, that actually makes stronger organizations and stronger products, because when we create space for people to connect in the way that allows them to express authentically their point of view, then we are making the implicit explicit 
and we can have really good, juicy, hard conversations. And I think that is one of the outcomes of hybrid and distributed work that we do not champion enough. Absolutely. I mean, we, well, the, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I think the world is just filled with opportunities now. I think we focus a lot on the negativities, but there are tremendous opportunities. And, you know, you were talking about the way we communicate and, you know, this is, this is one of those examples where it's an opportunity and a challenge, right? We've, we have many different ways to communicate in an organization. Uh, we've had, People suffer from things such as video conferencing fatigue, which you know I happen to have video all day now. I remember a time when I used to ask individuals if they'd meet with me over video and nobody wanted to do that. It was like in person or just a basic web conference. And now it's much richer, but sometimes also fatiguing. So you're talking to a lot of organizations and I'm wondering if you're seeing any best practices and how organizations adopt or make the most of communication tools? Sure. Um, I have so many thoughts about this. Awesome. I, I think one of the things that's really interesting around communication tools is challenging our own perceptions about what engagement looks like. And I want to start by talking about camera on culture, because I do think that um, very early in the pandemic and also when um remote work first became popular, there was this real insistent on camera on. And like, that was your way of signaling to the other people in the conversation that you were engaged, that you were focused, that you were participating. And I think there's been a really interesting shift. There's been some research around cameras on is actually disproportionately affecting women, uh, people of color. Uh, It is not the same experience for everyone. And I think that there is a really interesting shift in acknowledgement about stepping back and understanding like does my camera really need to be on can i if if i am participating in a meeting while i'm taking a walk because the fresh air is helping me get the energy to respond to things in new and innovative ways isn't that a better outcome than if we were all sitting in our chairs with our cameras on so i really want to challenge that and i think the thing that is also very interesting around this topic for me is people say oh well i can read body language i can do this and when we say those things, what we're really saying is, is that this is a thing I feel I'm good at, and it is not a muscle that I can exercise in that environment. And so really understanding we should be like helping ourselves get better at picking up verbal cues, how we are responding to each other in chats, uh, what that means to participate in a video meeting. I am really interested in turning that whole perception of successful video participation on its head. I absolutely agree. And, you know, here's, I, I've been doing some research in some er- other areas, and one of them is customer experience in the contact center. And there's this interesting intersection of using artificial intelligence with recorded calls to understand uh, customer sentiment, to understand empathy. But what you discover is that what I think will happen as a result of this, a positive outcome, is that we'll start to pick up on what are verbal clues? How do we actually change our language to be more empathetic? And it gets back to one of the things that you're saying is that there are multiple ways to think about how we effectively drive engagement. And not all of them have to be in this face-to-face communications way. I mean, dear goodness, I honestly miss the art of the phone call. Like it would be so great if somebody just sent me a meeting invite that said, 
cell phone. And I'd be like, that'd be great. I'd love a cell phone meeting. Maybe I could take a walk around the lake and it would be awesome. So, uh, and it does kind of minimize some of the fatigue of, of sitting all day long. But I think we're starting to, to at least acknowledge though, that there's some challenges and some opportunities with it. Like, I love the fact that I don't have to get on a plane for a one hour meeting. Mm -hmm. I mean, how amazing is that, right? Show or drive in a car three hours for a one hour meeting. So we've had a lot of upside. Now I think we just have to find ways to um, really expand our knowledge as a society on when and how we communicate and that people have different communications preferences. I almost wish like when all the people are talking about their collaboration software and how amazing it is, one of the things I want to see somebody do is put in preferences. Like Maribel can set, this is how I like to be communicated with because some people like Slack and some people like video and some people want a phone call. You just never know, right? So that would be an interesting feature opportunity in, in my opinion, but one of the other things I wanted to discuss with you is, and I don't remember exactly which article I saw this, but you were talking about creating an equitable hybrid work environment and that in order to do that, um, companies had to set up some rituals or norms to follow. And I found that really interesting and intriguing and was wondering if you could share a few examples of what that might look like. Sure. Um, I think norms in general for any time that we communicate with each other, whether it's short-term or long-term, are really basic ways to help create space for people to participate. Uh, for example, I came from a DEIB meeting before I joined this conversation, and we start every one of those meetings by going through our participatory norms. And it's just a way of centering people and helping frame up, this is what it looks like to communicate and connect in this space. Another part of that is I'm a big fan of team agreements. And this goes back and touches on something that you briefly mentioned a few minutes ago, which is being able to signal what your preferences are. When we have internal working groups or we start new engagements, we always have a moment to have a formal team agreement. And in that team agreement, we walk through and we talk about as individuals, what are the ways that we prefer to participate? And that includes our communication styles, how we like to be pinged on Slack, what are our core working hours. Uh, a thing that I think has helped recently very much is talking about what's bringing us energy and what's talking about what's draining us energy. So for me, I might talk about, I am really engaged when we are talking about ambiguous topics. Curiosity really drives me. I like to thrive in that space. I think it's so interesting what really drains my energy is to have really circular conversations where we cannot make any progress. And I just think to myself, this is the easiest way to empty my tank. And so by being explicit with the people that I am working with to get to the outcomes we're driving for, I think it's really interesting and powerful to be able to bring those up. And we also talk about feedback preferences, because I think when we are not next to each other, we, uh, our opportunity to understand how we're operating in the world and how that's impacting other people, that comes across differently when we're not face-to-face. -face. And I think that that's around like just the muscles that we have around reading body language and tone of voice. And all the time when I write things, I find myself with smiley faces or emojis because I'm trying to impart that kind of 
tone that I might have if I was speaking with another person. And so whatever we can do to signal our intent, I think is really drives our ability to work together in a way that's much more powerful than if we just kept that all to ourselves. And I always say to people, I, I imagine almost every one of us has had interactions with colleagues where our faces are really calm. And on the inside, we're either bursting with excitement or like starting to boil over with a little rage. And so I think to myself, what does it actually look like to open that door and have that conversation explicitly before it gets to a point where one or the other of us feel like we're not able to be present in a conversation in the way we really want to be? Absolutely. And, you know, I just want to pick up on, and I don't know if it ends up being emojis or something else, but I love the concept of trying to make the tone of written speech obvious because language is filled with, it can be perceived as very flat and taken one way, but if you put like a little smiley emoji at the end of it, it's like, oh, that was meant to have an element of humor. And depending on who's reading it at what time, things can be perceived very differently, which when you're speaking to somebody physically, uh, either on the phone or on a video, you have that inflection and tone, and it's difficult to translate into written language. So I think that's one of the beautiful benefits of emojis and I wonder how communications in the world, in the business world specifically, will change moving forward as a result of that. So we'll see what happens there. That's sort of a a bit of a sideline uh, digression. Um, There were a few other things that I read on the site. uh, And one was, you know, in the past, I've heard things like uh, there's no I in team. And there was actually an article that said there really should be an I in team, the team agreement. Uh, can you tell me what you meant by that? Because it's a super controversial title. Yeah, um, I do believe there should be an IN team. Teams are made up of individuals. And I think there's this really interesting way. I feel like the word selfish has gotten co-opt, co-opted. Right. Uh, Agreed. <laughs> I think to me, selfish is getting muddled with the idea that every one of us has an opportunity and a responsibility for ourselves and to others to help uh, amplify what are the ways in which we do our best work. Maybe I am a person. So if you are on a team with me, I will flat out tell you, I don't like to have hard conversations at 1130 or 4 p.m. My that Those are when my energy reserves are at the lowest. And so isn't it actually a gift to my teammates and to the work we're doing together for me to say, hey, the way that I can show up best in this work is if we all acknowledge that this is something that I carry with me. And that does not mean that the team bends to an individual all the time. What it means is that we recognize the power of each of us being able to ask for what we need. So whenever reasonable and possible, we can do that for each other. Absolutely. And you know, there's, you bring up an interesting discussion, which also I think is a part of the the modern workforce that we have not acknowledged before. And that's that everybody has different red, green, yellow zones, right? And mapping the times that you communicate with people to your energy zones or what would be the best activity, uh, I think is great. And there are actually books and everything else on that. I cannot remember the name of the author, but I actually read a book that was 
specifically on this, and I'll put it in the show notes, because for me, I thought it was very important. It gave me another way to understand why at some point things are very hard and at other points they aren't. It's sort of where you are in your energy mapping, um, which is actually a physical biorhythm thing that can be based on sleep and other things. So it's not, it's like you can actually tie some physical science back to it. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on this. So probably a closing question Actually, technically, the closing question would be: you know, Do you have any uh, anything, an act, a personal activity, or book or podcast to recommend? But before we get to that, you know, you're out talking to many individuals, and I'm wondering if there are any new best practices that you see being developed that we haven't already discussed. That's a really interesting question. I think best practice becomes whatever helps the individuals you're working with in that moment get to the outcome they want. So I also, in a very interesting and kind, compassionate way, want to challenge the way that all of us use the phrase best practice, because best practice is really how does, like, how do we get to the outcome we want in a way that is very powerful and impactful? Uh, That being said, uh, I will say, I think there's some really interesting things that I am starting to see surface around skills that we're, we can all build muscles around. And one of them is uh, I'm super curious and intrigued right now about uh, asynchronous facilitation, right? We are moving to a moment where we used to have people in a room having ideas and our perception was like, this is the best way for us to have the most interaction and collaboration. And now we're moving into an environment with remote and distributed teams where putting people in front of a screen for seven hours a day is just not going to yield the same kind of outcomes, nor should it, uh, as when we were in person. So what are the skills? I think the facilitation skills are definitely different. How do we reframe how we break things up into chunks? How do we understand that there might be ways for us to collaborate in solo and come together? Where's the convergence and divergence? And I think the individuals who start to gain authority and skills around that are going to find that they can help their teams get to the place they want to be faster. And I'm extremely curious and excited to see what comes out of all of that. 2022, 2023, the new world of management. I really think you, you're you spot on with something where just even meetings, like if we look back, we can already see that meetings used to be an hour long, maybe they're 45 minutes long. And now people have shrunk them to 20, 30 minutes, which I think is a fabulous, you know, you're much more efficient, you're getting direct to the point. So that was one example how we've changed our thinking on it. And to your point, I'm really excited to see what's next And I guess now I am at the closing question. So um, is there a book, a podcast, an activity, doesn't have to be tech related, that you'd like to recommend to the audience? Something you've been thinking about or doing or reading or? Sure. Uh, It's interesting that you asked that because I just participated in a blog with our head of design, uh, Antonio Garcia. And we were identifying eight books that we thought were really interesting to read. Uh, so if you are interested or you can add a link uh, in the show notes, I think people might be interested in seeing some of that. Uh, I will say the book that I actually am very interested in and have um, continued to come back to in my work is Crucial Conversations. Have you heard about that? I have not. That's great. It's an Tell older 
Crucial Conversations is a, a little bit of an older book, but it's basically framing how we communicate and how we might talk to each other in order to achieve the outcomes that we're looking for. And it is one of those moments where I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you read a thing and all of a sudden you're like, yes, that's the thing that's been in my head. Somebody else has put the words so that I can finally, it can crystallize for me. And I will say it did change the way that I uh, participate in conversations and the way I receive information from other people. And I think communication is really at the root of how we operate in the world. And so whatever we can all do together to become more efficient communicators and more respectful of how each individual brings their own style, I think is a really interesting space to live in. And I am fascinated by it. Fabulous. I will put a link to that in the show notes. And if you send me the blog, I'll put a link to that as well. Great. Gail, thank you so much for your time and attention and insight. And I really look forward to seeing what you do next. Thanks, Maribel. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please visit reimaginehybridwork.com to subscribe to the show and the newsletter. Until next time, wishing you all of the best in everything in life and in technology. Thank you.